Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. I'm taking my constitutional around the garn. I'm on my own today and has got some things to do, so stretching my legs here in solitude. It's lovely up here, I haven't seen a soul. There's quite a lot of water in that little river down there. It's had a bit of rain the last few weeks. It's all looking nice. Bit of sun. Bit of a sniff of spring in the air, I reckon. Anyway, I know you love your weather reports, so I had to sail that. Anyway, uh, this is another one in an interesting time series. And this is the series in which we comment on current affairs. If you're new to the channel, uh, you'll notice that we've done quite a lot of these over the last few years. And But there's also quite a lot of other uh, diverse material on the channel relating to all manner of uh, political, uh, philosophical, psychological sort of subjects. And we're on about 300 and something I think, the podcasts by now. To say, they're very varied. And we did start to comment on uh, interesting times, you know, on current affairs, pretty early on, actually. I remember commenting on Erdogan winning his victory in the Turkish election. So far back we go. And, and of course, we commented on the pandemic and Brexit and so forth. So today's interesting times is going to be in two parts. Today's interesting times is about pretty well the only thing in the news at the moment, which is the uh, the war, and that is what it is. It is a war in the Ukraine, in which if you've been sleeping under a rock, uh, the Russian Federation has invaded Ukraine and we're on about day six of that at the moment and well it's it's chaos it's a humanitarian disaster it's a very dangerous geopolitical turn of events and what's really going on there is anybody's guess it's now enveloped in, in the fog of war. First casualty of war is the truth, as you know. And I don't think I'm even going to attempt to hit the truth of what's going on the ground there now. But what I think I can usefully do is to compare some of the takes on what is happening and what, what the antecedents are and what the significance is of these events. And out of that, to, to try and find where we are at, where the world is at. As I say, this isn't about getting into the, the weeds of the nitty-gritty of the on-the-ground you won't get there, uh, certainly not, unless one goes there, and even then your view will be partial.
I mean, there are plenty of correspondents on the ground, and what they're filing, is, we know is complete shit for the most part. And the other thing we can do, and where there is a different kind of fog, and perhaps a fog that we can pen- penetrate, is take a look at the history of the region and the history of the politics the geopolitics and the economic statistics and so forth we've got some kind of fact base that we can kind of dip into now it is a fact base that has to be interpreted all the problems of the philosophy of history are present in this manoeuvre that I'm recommending for us at this current juncture and there are real difficulties and we are in a hermeneutical situation but we also I think are obliged to do justice to the biggest fact base that we can that we can command and the biggest I would say reliable fact base that we can get our hands on so there's a couple of things there we can look at the history and we can look at the, the discourse, the propaganda discourse and the noise and, and the circus of, of words and comment and punditry and diplomacy that surrounds this thing. And I, I have spent a bit of time trying to look at some very uh, I don't pertinent sources which I'll mention in a minute now I'm going to do this in two parts part one is this extemporisation as I'm walking in the hills no doubt you can hear a warplane overhead that's one of the things that they use our country for uh, a deserted rural country they like to fly their warplanes over it uh, for training and so forth so the second part I will do back at home and I'll sit down in my room and uh, oh, just actually record straight onto the, the computer and the reason why I want to do a second part perhaps a reprise of this first part in some ways is so that I can have my notes in front of me and, and, be, and be accurate about the names and the figures and the, the numbers and so forth and there's also some stuff that I do need to, to, to at least have an idea about in my mind. For instance, the revolution in Maidan Square of uh, Kiev that occurred in uh, 2014. And there's so many competing ideas about what the significance of that was. And it's something I need to uh, visit again and look, look into a little, as, as rigorously as I can. So where, where are we up to today? Well today 
the president of Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky appeared on a big screen in the European Parliament. And to watch this live, I think basically what he was telling the Parliament was that, you know, the Ukrainians will fight and obviously trying to get as much assistance as he can in terms of weapons so forth and even asking for a no-fly zone uh, which of course is not going to fly because it would bring NATO into potential shooting conflict with Russia which means that we now we, we would then have a, um, a shooting war between the two nuclear superpowers extremely dangerous and they're not going to do it and Bush has said they're not going to do it uh, so that's not going to happen I don't think but uh, he, he received quite a lot of moral support from the European Parliament some of the members were posturing with the Ukrainian flags and this is how it's going at the moment I also watched the proceedings, twice now, I've done, I've watched the proceedings of the United Nations and particularly the meetings of the uh, Security Council. Which is um, a body within the United Nations consisting of 15 representatives of 15 countries. I think it's five members are permanent and the rest are rotated and the chair is rotated of this kind of subcommittee of the, the United Nations. Its job is really to sort of get on the case when there's wars and humanitarian disasters and both of these things have now been uh, discussed at great length within the Security Council. So watch that. That's dedication, I tell you. So what do I take from that latter event, or events I have to say? Well, uh, there was a call originally, early on in the Security Council deliberations, to call, call for a ceasefire and, and so forth, and you know, for the Russians to withdraw. Uh, but it was it was vetoed by Russia because certainly the permanent members can can veto any motion passed by the Security Council. I'm not sure if all members can, but possibly they can. Now it's interesting at this time, the the president of the Security Council is the uh, the Russian ambassador to the United Nations. You know, the, the, the guy who sits for Russia on the Security Council. So he's having to take all these uh, presentations from very, very many nations that wanted to speak from all around the world and ask them for their presentation then thank them for it. And then, of course, he has to step down from his role as the chair uh, temporarily in order to put, you know, to, to put his Russian ambassador hat on and, 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 and give the Russian side. They're pretty well... 
I watched it and watched it and watched it, and it's like Russia is pretty isolated on the international scene. There was nobody speaking up for them. Even China, you know, you can tell that they're a bit alarmed. And maybe their friendship with Putin is something that they want to kind of cool off a little bit. I mean, I was reading between the lines, who knows, you know, but they weren't, they didn't offer kind of unequivocal support and express grave concern, as they should. Everybody should be very concerned about this series of events. Brazil, the right-wing government of Brazil, nevertheless, was, again, circumspect and pretty well everybody calling for for, for peace, you know, for ceasefire, for talks, for diplomacy, everybody, India. You know, these are the these are countries that, are, that that have a relationship with Russia, you know, and but nevertheless, they weren't. Russia wasn't getting a clear run at this. Well, when it comes turn for the the Russian ambassador to speak, and he, he, I mean, in the second one of these I saw, he, he he was the last but one to speak, and he he basically said it's all fake news, you know, that. The Russian army hasn't bombed any civilian positions, hasn't killed any children, hasn't blown up any schools or hospitals. Now the other side are saying that they're kind of blowing up schools and hospitals and they've killed this many people. There are certainly hundreds, if not thousands, of deaths by now, I have to say, and children have been killed and civilians have been killed and civilian targets have certainly been hit. That much we, we can say, the extent, you know. I mean, the Russian ambassadors claim that this is fake news. Well, there will be some fake news. And he certainly put some out himself. And we know that Putin was lying through his teeth at the, the, the outset of this. Because America was uh, sending out warnings uh, around the world about the massing of troops, which have been going on for months, on, on the Ukraine-Russian border, on the Russian side. And Putin saying, oh, it's just exercises, but, you know. We're not going to invade. We're not going to invade. And then, of course, he invades. Then he says, uh, "Then he says, all we're going to do is secure the Donbass, the Russian-speaking region in the in the southeast, to protect the Russian speakers from uh, a long conflict that's been going on there between separatists and the the greater Ukrainian government." And, oh, it's a, it's a very complicated situation. And I've had a little look at the history of that, and I'll speak about that a bit later. So Putin says that, he promises that, but then invades from the north, from Belarus, where the, the Belarusian government, which is a pretty right-wing, dictatorial, dictatorship-style government, has allowed Russia, it's very friendly to Putin, has allowed Putin to station his troops in Belarus, and for him to invade Ukraine from Belarus from the north and head down towards Kiev, the capital, uh, which is it's in the north of the country, so it's not too far from the Belarusian border. Uh, Russian, uh, as I speak, uh, the last thing I looked before coming out there is there are Russian columns of tanks and heavy artillery heading towards Kiev down the road, and this this convoy of Russian arms is 60 kilometres or depending on who you ask, 50 kilometres, 30 kilometres long. Either way, it's a huge, a huge armed force. 
and the, the Ukrainian army obviously is, is nowhere near as big or well equipped as the, the Russian army is attempting to make life, life difficult for the, uh, the convoy, obviously. Up to uh, and including um, anti-tank weapons supplied by various other parties, uh, possibly the EU and so forth. And including Molotov cocktails uh, being uh, marshalled by teenage boys. So, one thing is almost for sure, isn't it? And that is that the Ukrainians w won't take it lying down. So, it's all fake news according to the Russian ambassador. So, the last guy to speak at, at the UN Security Council is the ambassador from Ukraine. The, uh, the chair calls him, the Russian <laughs> ambassador calls him. And he really, the, the guy's obviously high, highly emotional. And he, uh, he talked about, apparently it was the anniversary of Hitler's death in the bunker. And he started talking about how, how, how Putin's got the same thing coming for him. That uh, it's gonna, all going to go apeshit and he's going he's gonna to end up having to kill himself in the bunker. <laughs> um, I think he's losing, losing his shit a little bit. And he also talked about uh, the Third Reich, the... Uh, the mentors of, of the Putin government, the Third Reich. So he was, I mean, there are charges of Nazism flying around all over the place, and Putin talks about neo Nazis in, in the Donbass, uh, which there are, uh, so called Azov uh, regiments or squads or whatever they are. But there are certainly some far right bully boy elements in the whole kind of scenario. So, somebody asked me actually yesterday, they said, well, what did you get? I said, well, I've been watching the United States. I said, well, what are they saying? <laughs> They're like, what are... I think, well, basically the Russians say it's fake news and the Ukrainians say that the Nazis. Russia is isolated. And pretty well everybody, even, even their kind of first, even their, their friends or people who are not so terribly disposed towards Russia are calling for peace and negotiation and diplomacy and, and for, a, you know, for a, an international settlement. Also, I have to say, the United Nations are, like, are making plans and trying to put things in place to get humanitarian aid in, into the place. Uh, over half a million Ukrainians have now left the country. They've, gone over the, they've driven over the border into Poland, into Romania, into Moldova and so forth, and they've just got out. They've just done what they can to get out, uh, and, and of course there is there's news footage of this, you know. And I think it's, I don't think it's kind of been faked or anything. People pushing wheelchairs and prams, you know. Other people getting on the train, trying to get out on the train and so forth. And it's mostly women and children because men, all men over between 18 and 60, have been conscripted. <laughs> They're all now volunteers, you know, stay and fight. And um, there are questions about the wisdom of that, uh, which again I'll, I'll, I'll move on to at some point. So it is, it is an absolute fucking shitstorm and a disaster. 
And if, if I'm trying to like look at what's going on and look at the history and, and try and figure out the significance of this, that or the other, well, I'll start here. The first and most significant factor in these goings-on is that War stinks. It's not good for anything. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Give peace a chance. And that, that has to remain the absolute number, number one significance that you derive from these events. You need to see what it actually existentially is. I mean, one of the disgusting things I think about, about what's going on is, is armchair generals, you know. And in fact, you know, that, that, that discuss makes me reluctant to talk, talk about this stuff in some ways. You know, because the people on the ground are suffering the pain. They're catching the, sh the shrapnel. They're having their businesses destroyed and their houses destroyed. They're having to, 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 to uh, spend days and nights in terror in the, in the subway because of uh, aerial bombing and, and missiles and so forth. The misery being produced by these events is off the scale. Any of these unnecessary. It can't be, on, be beyond the wit of man to sort out those tensions. It cannot be. So, the first significance is suffering. The actual real suffering. Injury, death, disruption, economic disruption. Economic collapse that's attendant on this whole matter, quite apart from uh, pretty dangerous destabilisation of, of the geopolitical uh, configura configuration, which could be momentous, and I think probably is, and again I'll speak, I'll speak about that when I've got my figures. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarise here, just to keep this, this little introductory a little bit short. I think we can usefully look at the history of the situation. I think we can usefully look at sources about what's happening there, but that we have to be very, very careful and have a, um, a strong scepticism and a pinch of salt because we have the fog of war, we have propaganda flying. Some of it so obviously propaganda and so ludicrously um, simply the fantasies of journalists and the fantasies of armchair generals. But nevertheless, we can still glean something there. And and it's also useful to take a look at the discourses, the discussions, particularly, I think, what's happening in places like the United Nations and the European Parliament. But also, you know, we have many, many pundits at our disposal. And it's worth looking wildly different views and I've been looking in that vein at uh, something that the broadcast that Larry Wilkerson did who you, you might have heard me mention before it's a very interesting character Colonel Wilkerson Colonel Larry Wilkerson was Colin Powell's chief of staff in the Bush White House military man obviously and a teacher at West Point and all this a real lifelong Republican obviously but nevertheless, his take on the uh, the US military-industrial complex is very, very fresh. I mean, the bloke has seen so much. 
Um, that he's, he's had to abandon any kind of denial. That it's a fucking shitty setup. So he's interesting, but he's a Republican, there you go. He's interesting. He's, he's a kind of Republican with with some ability to, to, to reason. I would put him put him as. Um other than against that of course we've got we've got you know, people like the Grey Zone guys and Ben Norton, who I think's left the Grey Zone as an interesting take because he's done a lot of research on on the Maidan uh, revol colour revolution of two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, stuff to say about that. But people like Yanis Varoufakis and Noam Chomsky on that other side. And there's a lot of views. But I think we can glean something from the way that these these views collide uh, or, or exist in tension or are in a sort of a dialectical uh, contradiction even. And I think this is always the place that you look. <laughs> this, is your, this is your clue when you investigate. It's the clue that jumps out at you. So, uh, I could say more about about what I've gleaned from that a bit later. So, I hope this is like a nice introduction. And there'll be another half hour when I get home, get a little bit of time, get the microphone out and... I will do chapter two of this podcast. So, uh, over and out for now, but do not turn off. <laughs> Back home now. I think on reflection, part two uh, needs its own uh, separate episode. So, keep your eyes on this channel, because there's more to say on this matter, obviously, and... Uh, that will be happening very soon. Over and out. Take care of yourselves.